0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 this morning. We are continuing in our series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. A series we've entitled Basic Christianity. I think we all know that there are some things that are more caught than taught. And one of those things happens to be the way we speak, our accents. Um, if you say the word y'all, you were probably raised in a context, maybe a family that said y'all. If you say you guys, or maybe even yous guys, you were probably, didn't get that just from a, an English teacher at school, but you probably got that enforced with a family and a community that talked in a certain way. Some things are more caught than necessarily taught. I caught that the the state is pronounced Colorado, not Colorado, like I hear some people say, and that's okay. Most of them actually live there who speak that. Uh, I caught that we say the phrase "up on the roof," not "up on the rough," as I've heard some of my friends say. Um, recently, I realized that I had caught the candy. I had called it almost for my whole life, Reese's Pieces. And then you go and you look at it and it says Reese's Pieces. And I was like, how did 40 years of my life, how did I get this wrong? Well, some things are more caught than taught. And the Bible recognizes this. The Bible recognizes that we... Pick up things based on the people that we follow, the community that we're in, the family that God has put us in. And so Proverbs instructs us, based on this reality, it says in Proverbs thirteen twenty, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm you and I are going to walk with someone. There's going to be people around us, people that we catch things and pick up things from. And so we're to look carefully at the influences of our lives to how that influence comes into our life because we are prone to mimic those around us. We tend to imitate them. And so in Philippians 2, Paul turns to this issue of the company that we keep and the examples that we follow. In fact, this is a dominant part of Paul's letter to the Philippians. It goes from chapter 2, verse 19, all the way through the end of chapter 3, verse 21. He puts forward, here are worthy examples to imitate, and here are examples you don't want to follow. And so we'll be looking at those over the next number of weeks. The kind of people you should imitate and the kind of people you should avoid. And it shouldn't surprise us at this point in Philippians that the examples worth imitating happen to be those that emulate the very humility of Jesus Christ. The humility we see in Jesus perfectly We're meant to surround ourselves and emulate and imitate the example of that humility as we see it in others. So, you have your Bible open, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. This is God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him... Just as soon as I see how it will go with me, then I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed he was ill near to death but God had mercy on him and not on him not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious so receive him in the lord with all joy And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray and invite the Lord's help one more time. Heavenly Father, just coming once again to Your Word like we have come many times before, Lord, it is is an honor and a privilege for You are a speaking, revealing God. And I pray, Lord, that You would allow the seed of Your Word to land on fertile hearts, grateful hearts, receptive hearts. Lord, I need that. We need that. We don't want to forget. We don't want to allow the the cares of this life to choke it out. We don't want to receive it just in joy for a moment but fail to bear fruit. Lord, we want to bear fruit. And we need your help. And so I ask, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to bring this alive to us, Lord, to plant it deep in our hearts, something that we might come back to, Lord, not just today, but for weeks and years to come. This passage and these truths and what you want to do in our lives as a result. Lord, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to draw near to you. And thank you, Lord, for instructing us in your ways. We Posture ourselves to receive from you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these verses that I just read can seem like a travel update. They can seem a little out of place here in the middle of the letter, where usually Paul commends his co workers and reveals his travel plans at the end of a letter. And yet here we are, smack dab in the middle of the letter of Philippians, and Paul is including a word here about his co-workers, and he points out, draws attention to these two men as worthy examples. We have Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Paul had just pointed out in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the perfect humility of Jesus Christ. And then he called the Philippians to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he called the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. But now he points to two men And they're worthy example to be followed. And so the first is Timothy. Timothy. Paul hopes, he says in verse 24, to visit Philippi. And he says in verse 19, he hopes to send Timothy soon. Now you may be familiar with the relationship between Paul and the Philippians. Paul planted this church. If you read back in Acts chapter 16... There was no church in Philippi. God worked in a jailer. He worked in a woman who was a, a merchant. And he worked in a demon-possessed girl. They all three get saved and boom, we have a church. It's a great way to start a church, by the way. And so he, this church was planted by the Apostle Paul. And we learn from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy was there as well. This is right as uh, Timothy was joining Paul and Silas on their missionary journey. And so this church knew Timothy, and this moment where Paul's laying out his hope for travel plans gives him an opportunity to point out Timothy's example. Look at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, this probably doesn't mean that there's not another Christian under the sun who actually cares for the Philippian church. It likely is Paul talking about his outstanding care. Timothy cares. He says, I have no one like him. He thinks about you all. He prays for you all. He's not in Philippi, and yet he cares for this church. I have no one like him, genuinely concerned for your welfare. And the word concern there, it's the same word we're going to see, and you're probably more familiar with. In chapter 4, verse 6, it's the word anxious. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, there's a bad kind of anxiety, and there's a good kind of anxiety. The good kind is genuine anxiety. Concern for the welfare of others. And Timothy is modeling that. This thoughtfulness. And we know the blessing of this kind of concern. We we know it when somebody asks you. And they look at you and they really want to know. How are you doing? How is your soul? Or they say to you. You know I've been praying for you. And they list specific ways that they've been Praying for you, or somebody calls and say, says, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? Like, we know the, the way that that just expresses this genuine concern, and it's, it's a blessing. Why does Timothy have this genuine concern for a church that's like 800 miles away? Well, Paul tells us, verse 21 for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Most people aren't seeking the welfare of others because most people are seeking their own interests, their own agendas, their own welfare. They're preoccupied with their own troubles and plans and affairs. And so, but, but, That's where this comes from for Timothy is he's not concerned merely with himself. This is an echo in verse 21. This is an echo back to verse 4 where Paul had said in verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And So if the Philippians are saying, Paul, what does that look like? He says, ah, exhibit A, Timothy. You want to see somebody who's not living for themselves, but living for the interests of others? Look at Timothy. He's imperfect. He's a sinner. The Philippians would have known all of that. But he genuinely cares for them because he's living not for his own interests, but the interests of others. The interests of Christ. You know, church, it is an evidence of pride when we are looking only to our own interests. And it is an evidence of humility when we are looking to the interests of others. And so even though this is basic Christianity here in Philippians 2, it's rare. And we get that picture from Paul when he says, "I, I have no one else who's like this. He's outstanding. This is a rare quality. Non-Christians are most often consumed and preoccupied with their own interests. And so are many Christians. When I was reading this, I was like, this is a daily battle for me. To not just be consumed with what I have going on. What I want. What I feel like I need. What affects me. He says, all seek their own interests. So he's talking about something that is endemic to humanity. And yet there's this theme that's woven here. And it's woven throughout all of Scripture. Considering others as more significant than yourselves. Looking to the interests of others. So we see this in 1 Corinthians 10.24. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Or 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he, that is Christ, died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so as good as this conviction is, church, let's, let's just explore this question for a moment How much of your thought and time recently revolve around your interests? And how much of that thought, time, energy revolves around the interests of others, the interests of Christ? I mean, this is foundational to an edifying friendship. You can come to a friendship trying to give, Or you can come to a a friendship trying to get. This is foundational for the marriage relationship, an edifying marriage. Are you trying to be served or are you trying to serve? You know, I notice that most of my conflicts that I get involved in or that I am personally conflicting with somebody else about usually comes from me trying to get served rather than to serve. And so Jesus, this, this language comes from Jesus. This is Mark 10:45. He says, "But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." So this isn't just Jesus teaching on humility. This is what Jesus did. The worthy one that we sang about this morning. All glory, all honor, look and see him. The worthy one came to serve rather than to be served. The glorious one became the humble one. Living the life that you and I could not live. Dying in our place as a substitute on the cross. He was serving by doing that. It says he gave his life as a ransom for many. Many sinners brought back. How? Why? Jesus became a servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he says, whoever would be first must be slave of all. Servant of all. And so this is the genuine concern that Paul's talking about. That is in Timothy. Timothy is a worthy example to be followed. And what else expresses in Timothy, expresses this genuine interest for others? Well, we see in verse 22. It says, but you know Timothy's proven worth... How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. He has served with me in the gospel. Uh, Paul mentions as a son with a father. We don't see this so much in our generation as in the generations before the Industrial Revolution a son would serve in the same way that his father worked. If his father was a blacksmith, he would likely be a blacksmith. And there would be a continuity from father to son. Well, Timothy is Paul's spiritual son. And he is serving like Paul in this, but it's it's not a vocation of tent making. He's serving in the gospel. And the word used here, about this serving, is actually the same word that's translated slave. He's slaving in the gospel. He's he's not taking his own direction and his service is not owned by himself. He's he's slaving away for the Lord Jesus Christ as a lowly servant. This is who Jesus is in Philippians 2.7. It says that he took the form of a servant. And so Timothy, he's genuinely concerned for the Philippians. He's seeking their interest. He's seeking the interests of Christ. He's posturing himself as a lowly servant to serve this church. And so Paul, he's not just giving a travel update. This, the travel update here is incidental. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of humility. Jesus humbled himself by taking on human nature. He humbled himself by dying at the hands of creation. He humbled himself by dying in the most horrific way possible on a cross. And he says, like an accent that is caught from those around you, learn this accent of humility by others who are following Christ in this humble, servant-like way way. So Timothy is put forward as an example to be emulated. A second example that gets put forward is in verses 25 through 30, and it's that of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. What's different about Epaphroditus is he is from Philippi. He is a Philippian himself. In verse 25, Paul calls him your messenger. And so what we learn from this part right here and then chapter 4 is that the Philippians were sending support to Paul. And they sent that support by the hand of a man, Epaphroditus. Paul was in prison. He He couldn't support himself. He was dependent on other people. He was likely in Rome. Rome is 800 miles away from Philippi. And so Epaphroditus is the one they sent with the gift. And this is the Roman world in the first century. So how do you get 800 miles? It's not airplanes first class. It's not cruise ships. There's no Viking cruises in the Mediterranean at this moment. Travel was dangerous. And so Paul says, do you want to see a worthy example? You have one in Epaphroditus. Look at his titles. There is no one else who has this many titles given other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other person who has this many titles. Verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and a messenger, your messenger, and minister to my need. Wow, five titles. My brother, indicating we're in the same family, this family of God together. My fellow soldier, we're fighting in I'm sorry, I'm going to go to fellow worker. We're in the same family and we're laboring at the same cause. A fellow worker. Then he says fellow soldier. We're fighting in the same battle. We're on the same team. What, by, what battle is Paul and Epaphroditus fighting? It's the battle for the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. Making known Christ. That's the battle in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. He says, this is my fellow soldier. And he calls him your messenger. Actually, the, the Greek word there is apostolos. Meaning the, what we get the word apostle from. It means sent one. He was sent from Philippi. And then he calls him your minister to my need. And that word, that's a rich word, minister. It's a word that is, has a lot of Old Testament history to it. Um, it. It was one who performed an act of worship. It's like a priest who would receive the sacrifice and offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people. The Philippians' gift wasn't just a gift so that Paul could somehow like make it while he's in prison. He says, "No, your gift is an act of worship. It's a service." He says that in verse thirty as well. Uses the same language. It's this act of worship, and Epaphroditus is the one who performs the act of worship by bringing the gift to Paul. He's a minister. And so Paul is telling the Philippians, look at Epaphroditus. He's a worthy example to be emulated. He's in the family of God, carrying out the business of God, fighting in the battle of God, carrying out the worship of God. And Epaphroditus isn't just doing this like in his free time or when everything's like, sunshine and cool breezes. No, look at what happened. Verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus nearly died bringing the gift to Paul. He risked his life to take the gift from the Philippians and it says he nearly died for the work of Christ. And those are carefully chosen words. Paul Paul has said so much about Jesus so far and now he's showing how the things about Jesus show up with others. So this is an echo of Philippians 2.8 where it says that Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, right up to death, and then he died. Epaphroditus humbly followed Jesus to the point of death, and he nearly died. Timothy and Epaphroditus weren't merely thinking about others when things were easy, when things were convenient. This was risky, this was dangerous. And somehow the Philippians heard that Epaphroditus had fallen ill. And look at his response, verse 26. He was distressed because you heard that he was ill. Almost every time I've ever been ill in my life, I've been distressed that I'm ill. But that's not what this passage is talking about. He's distressed that the Philippians know that he was ill not distressed that he was ill. It is a huge difference. He he knew the effect of them hearing that he had suffered. He, He didn't want it to put undue pressure on them. Even in the moment of being ill, he's thinking about others, or after the fact, he's thinking about others. He's not thinking, oh man, that was horrible what I had to go through. He's thinking, these people who sent me, I'm distressed. They heard that I was ill. And, and so even in his illness and afterwards, he wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on others. Does that remind you of anyone? It reminds us of Jesus. Jesus in John 17, he was, it was the night before he was betrayed. And he's praying his high priestly, what's known as his high priestly prayer in John 17. And his focus over and over again is on his people, his disciples, those who would come to know him through his disciples, his sheep. That's that's what he's thinking about. That's what he's praying for. That's what he's asking God to protect. And so we get in Timothy and we get in Epaphroditus, two echoes of Jesus Christ. They are worthy examples because they are examples of Christ. The the qualities that appear in these two men imperfectly appear in Jesus perfectly. Now, why would Paul do this? Why would he point out these two men when he could much easier just point them to Jesus and say, Hey, everyone, you want to know what humility looks like? Ah, look at Jesus. Just keep looking at Jesus. No, no, you don't need anybody else. Just keep looking at Jesus. Why would he point out these two men? Well, I think of two reasons at least. First, it would be easy to say, hey, we should have the humility of Christ. And for someone to raise their hand in objection and say, I can't do that. I can't be like Jesus. He was perfect. He never sinned. I can't do that. And uh, just say, well, I guess I can't be humble. It would be easy to do that. But here, it was, yes, Jesus was perfect. And here are others who follow him imperfectly. But yes, we can have the mind of Christ. Yes, we can pursue humility. Look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. Look at how they're shaped by the very humility of Christ. It is God's grace at work in them. And it will be God's grace at work in us. I think that's one reason he mentions them. But secondly, I think we need worthy examples because some things are more caught than taught. We, need, we don't get to see Jesus day to day. We don't get to watch him. I mean, we read about him in the, in the scriptures, but watching people live out their faith in Christ and posture themselves humbly day to day is the accent of the humility that gets caught. And so here are these humble men that we want to be around people like this, risk-taking servants, so that these qualities of humility get worked in us as well. And so the Philippians should follow these men, and Paul puts it this way in verse 29. So receive him in the Lord... With all joy and honor such men. These are the kinds of people, as you think of the singers and the friends and the books you want to read and the movies you want to watch and the people you want to hang around. These are the kinds of examples you want to be emulating. Someone who is walking in the humility of Jesus Christ. That you too might be affected by his humility. And pick up that accent. Someone who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. That you would honor that person. That you would... Learn from them how to be genuinely concerned for others. Someone, you want to be around, someone who does not seek their own interests, but the interests of others and the honor of Christ. It's rare. Paul says it's rare. I have no one like him. It's rare. But then he invites us, you know what? But there are Timothys and there are Epaphroditus. Find them. Learn from them how to be humble. Do you know someone who takes risks for the kingdom of God, who's not seeking to play it safe? It's rare. It's rare. And he says, not proud risk-takers, not foolish risk-takers, but humble ones. who are just honored to be serving the Lord. He says, learn from them how to take risks. Honor such men. And so Jesus, Paul, Timothy... And Epaphroditus, they are not with us today. But we can still pick up on humility's accent by learning from others how to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So church, just for clarity, this is not us earning our salvation. There's no amount of works that we can do to earn a right standing with God. The only way to have our sins forgiven, the only way to be brought into a right standing with God is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His death for us, his resurrection for our newness of life. But he empowers this newness of life and it's a humble newness of life. And so church, if we want to grow in that, I would encourage you to look around in this local church and to find others beyond this local church who are walking humbly, who choose to honor Christ in this way and set yourselves as to follow their example. Uh, J.C. Ryle puts it this way. He says, Nothing perhaps affects a man's character more than the company he keeps. We catch the ways and tone of those we live and talk with and unhappily get harm far more easily than good. Disease is infectious, but health is not. Let us seek friends that will stir us up about our prayers, our Bible reading, and our employment of time, about our souls, our salvation, and a world. To come, And so we're both warned, and we'll see that next week of ones he actually says to look out for these people. We're, we're warned about the people we shouldn't be around, but we're also encouraged to, these are the people who have the mind of Christ that we want to surround ourselves with. People who have a genuine concern for others, who live as servants of God who take risks to advance his cause. And conversely, church, these are the people we want to be for others. This is where God's word kind of shifts between those that we're emulating and following and those we are seeking to be examples for. This is the mindset we want to cultivate. Every one of us, and I just want to imagine, I want you to imagine saying this to others and not laughing. 1 Corinthians 11:1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. That's not a joke. That's real. That's, that's basic Christianity. Follow me as I follow Christ. Watch me as I seek him. Yes, I, I am imperfect, and I even bring, watch me as I repent. Watch me as I bring my sin to the Lord. Watch me as I apply the gospel to my imperfections. But follow me as I follow Christ. This is the example we want to set. We're not just looking for others and saying, hey, where are all these other humble people that are so rare? We're actually seeking to cultivate this ourselves. To say, I want to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. We're not just to look for those and say, oh, do they seek their own interest? No, they don't. Okay, I'll follow them. No, we get to cultivate this ourselves, adopting this posture. We're not just looking for humble risk takers, but we're called to take risks in humility ourselves. And so, by God's grace, church, let us follow worthy examples. And by God's grace, church, may we be worthy examples to others. To be able to say, I'm going to follow Christ and I'm going to adopt his humility. Be imitators of me as I imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. We need his grace for that. And he gives it. If I can invite the worship team to return. Church, there is no amount of doing this that is going to save a person. The Bible is clear in Philippians and beyond that salvation is by grace and grace alone through faith alone on the basis of Christ alone. But if we are saved, this quality of humility is something God works in us and wants to work in us. Those worthy to be emulated are those that display the humility of Jesus Christ. He loved us. He saved us. He is at work in us. And as we saw at the very beginning of Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And one of the means he uses is other people. Worthy examples that we might catch humility's accent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. And this morning as I look around this room, I am so grateful, Lord, for the many examples of your grace And the humility of Christ that is at work, Lord, in person after person in this church. Lord, thank you. And I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn and to deepen in our own walk of humility. To be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. Lord, where perhaps we have drifted into self-preoccupation, Lord, would you bring us back that the things of others, the interests of others, the interests of Christ would dominate. And I say that, Lord, in the midst of knowing we live at a busy time where it is so easy for us to be just overwhelmed with getting through life. Lord, would you help us? And would you help this to be a posture that is born out of humility? We are so grateful for Jesus. He had every reason not to humble himself. He had every reason not to come, and yet we see the greatness of his love and the greatness of his humility in coming to be our ransom. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.